0: Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse.
1: Welcome. My guest this episode is Christina Vasilevsky. She blogs at booksandtea.ca about books and tea, and I think it's primarily science fiction fantasy books, although it'll be interesting to see if that changes, given your goals for the year. You also have a website at Christinavasilevsky.com and on Twitter at C Vasilevsky. We are going to be looking forward to 2016, but let's start by... Can you give us a little history of... Your experience with science fiction and fantasy, has that been primarily what you've read? Is it one of many things? How did you come into the genre?
2: I would say it's one of the things that I remember re- reading the earliest from my life. I mean, I remember starting to read The Hobbit when I was like 10, but of course I didn't actually finish it until I was about 12 because The Hobbit was a very hard book for me to get started in. I remember reading work like the books of Guy Gabriel Kay when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, there were the usual sort of things that I read in high school, some of which were fantasy, some of which weren't. The big book that I can think of in terms of fantasy from high school would be uh, The Once and Future King. I remember
1: trying that one a few times. I don't know if I, had, I ever actually got through it.
2: I had to read it for grade 10 English, so <laughs> a lot okay. I've forgotten. I think that my big commitment to... Sci-fi and fantasy though occurred when I was in university and I started reading more of it because um uh, my boyfriend at the time who's now my husband uh took a course in science fiction and fantasy. So I read things through him like Neuromancer, Trouble and Her Friends, some work by David Allen Gardner, I think.
1: The name rings a bell.
2: Yeah. Um and then after I graduated, I read a lot of fantasy. And I think I really kicked up my fantasy reading in particular in maybe 2011, 2010, because that's when I start actually, I would say 2010, because that's when I really started listening to uh, fantasy podcasts, like the Escape Artist podcasts, mm. Escape Pod, Pseudopod, and uh, Podcastle. And that was my major introduction to the contemporary literature, and because of that, I started I subscribing started to things like Clark's World, Lightspeed, Daily Science Fiction, and uh, a little bit of a feather in my cap is that I now currently am a slush reader for Lightspeed.
1: Ah, nice. So you've, done, you've been doing short stories and things for quite a while then.
2: Yeah. I actually started slushing for Electric Velocipede, which unfortunately is now no longer active, in late 2012, and then they shut down about a year later. And then in early 2014, right when John Joseph Adams first got the whole destroy science fiction, destroy fantasy, destroy horror thing off the ground, I remember seeing a tweet that he was looking for slush readers, and I was like, damn, I want that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and I would say that around that time was also when I really first started reviewing books, seriously, because in 2012, I had made a commitment on my professional site, ChristinaVasilewski.com, to review 40 books that year. And I actually did get that number. I was very proud of myself. And there was some nonfiction in there. There was some regular fiction or not fantasy, not speculative fiction in there, but the majority of it was fantasy fiction. So I remember in particular books like Serafina by Rachel Hartman, uh, Redemption and Indigo by Karen Lord, which I love.
1: I've had that recommended a couple of different times now.
2: Oh, it's just, it's so fun. It's such a, such a funny, canny voice. From 2013 to 2014 I really dropped off in the reviewing. I didn't do nearly as much. And then in 2015 was where I really started feeling that bug again. And so in the middle of 2015 was when I actually started the separate site booksandtea.ca. Mhm. And uh, for those of you who are wondering about the ant tea, I have a fuck ton of tea in my house. <laughs> I actually <laughs> I I diligently categorized and measured all of the tea. In my cupboard. I have a dedicated cupboard. Mm-hmm. And there's, I would say, between 150 and 160 varieties of loose leaf tea. So I do i do tea reviews on that site as well. So I normally do one book review a week and one mm-hmm. review of a tea or a, or a suite of teas from a particular vendor the mm-hmm. same week. Mm-hmm. I, I just like having all of my hobbies in one place.
1: Yeah. I have a really hard time with reviews and, and whenever I've tried starting review blogs, they don't last very long. Mm -hmm. I'm impressed that you do because I never know quite what to say in a review and I get, I get all tangled up in knots. So I'm trying to understand reviews and, and writing reviews and what makes a good review. And I'm curious since you're, since you're writing them, do you have something that tells you, Hey, this is pretty good. I'm pretty happy with what I've said here.
2: Oh, I always think after I finish a review, oh man, I should have added that and I should have <laughs> added that. There are always things that occur to me after it's been published. And sometimes I'll make little, al- little amendments, but I won't substantially change things. When I first started doing my reviews in 2012, they were very blocky and systematic. And I remember breaking it down into about the book, which is a basic plot summary, what I liked, what I disliked, and what the verdict was. And I remember in the middle of 2012 being really, really dissatisfied with that format because it felt like it was very modular and I wanted it to be a bit more cohesive. Okay. And so what I ended up doing was I ended up contacting a reviewer that I was following at the time. Her website is Bella's Bookshelves. And for a little bit of context, most of what she focused on at that time was Mm -hmm. specifically in the Canadian literature world. So I think that if she did cover science fiction fantasy was mostly within a can context. And I remember contacting her and asking her for advice. Okay. And I remember taking the advice that she gave me, thinking about her comments, and then I ended up trying to write the reviews under a new format. And what I ended up doing was, after finishing the book, just opening up a blog draft in WordPress, and just doing point form notes to myself about, you know, what do I like about this book? What do I dislike about this book? What are the connections I'm seeing? How does it relate to other books that I've read by this particular author? Mm -hmm. And I ended up being really, really happy with that process of just doing the point form and getting it all down in this big splotchy blast. Okay. I ended up publishing the review and contacting her afterwards, and I remember speaking to her afterwards, and she was like, yeah, that was a really good review. And this was a book by Robert Rotenberg, who is a Canadian legal thriller writer. And so I thought, okay, I can work with this. I think taking the break between 2012 and 2015 actually did make my reviewing skills atrophy a bit, because I look back on some of the reviews I wrote in 2012, and I think wow, that's actually really good. And then I look at the ones that I'm writing today and I think, I think that it's not quite the level of the ones I wrote back then. So hopefully I can rebuild that muscle. I am really
1: practicing saying to myself, there is room for improvement in what mm. I'm doing. And you're still basically doing that kind of bullet point and then put, put transitions and prose around it. Form, is that, is that your process?
2: Um, yeah, I, I would say that it's a bit more involved than that. I, I, I really massage the material once I've got the bullet points down. And sometimes I won't do the bullet points at all. I'll just write a paragraph about one thing, and write a paragraph about another thing, and then try to find a way to link them.
1: Mm-hmm. And as you're doing that, it, it sounds like you are mostly putting together your thoughts and kind of contextualizing the review in your reading experience.
2: I would say so, but I also try and connect the, the book that I'm reading to my own personal lived experience. Okay. Whether it's... Things like, I'm going to reference something that non-Canadian audiences might not be familiar with. By the way, I am in Canada. I'm in Toronto. International guests. Yay! Canada has a large and shameful legacy when it comes to its treatment of Aboriginal people. One of the biggest components of that awful legacy is the fact that for decades, the Canadian government and the Catholic Church systematically would take Indian uh, Aboriginal children from their homes, put them into what were called residential schools and basically, quote, kill the Indian in the child, end quote. And it was, you know, stripping them away from their family and cultural heritage, forcing them to learn a different language, forcing them to adopt Christian religious practice as opposed to more Aboriginal traditional forms of religious practice, and basically doing everything possible to obliterate aboriginal culture. This happened for decades. And I think that the last residential school in Canada closed in the 1960s. I could be wrong. I didn't learn about this until I was in university though. Mm -hmm. Um, And the school where I went to for university, Trent University, there was a large auditorium that was named after a young child who tried to run away from residential school and died. Trent, in particular, is known for trying to, or at least has gained a reputation for trying to incorporate Aboriginal history and Aboriginal culture into into his practice. And it's got a very active Indigenous Studies program. And I think that it was a way for the university to say, you know, never again, lest we forget that sort of impulse. And then a few months ago, I read a graphic novel that was all about the cultural legacy of residential schools. And it's called The Outside Circle by a woman named Patti Laboucaine Benson. I remember when I wrote the review of that graphic novel, talking about my personal relationship with this story because of what I learned at the university and how I didn't know about this history until I was 1920. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm sorry, this is a huge digression, but no, no, I try and I try and find ways to relate my life in some ways to what I'm reading. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it works, sometimes it doesn't.
1: Yeah, I'm remembering your review of the fifth season, which I I brought up briefly in, in the podcast where we talked about it, because I think I had very similar reactions to yours, which is that there are a lot of parallels that could be drawn between the fifth season and the American cultural context of the Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter movement and realizing the ways in which our police state is behaving towards African-Americans right now. Mm -hmm. Is there more we should say about reviews and your thoughts about them and and how you approach them?
2: Yeah, I would say that there are some reviewing organizations or individuals that I would love to be able to approach their skill one day. Say, for example, the Strange Horizons uh, website, their Mm -hmm. book reviews are incredibly in-depth. And articulate and also very academic. And I feel that they bring a literature criticism focus that I currently don't have in my reviews. I they would make love me feel have... really
1: inadequate almost oh, all the time.
2: Oh my God. I know <laughs> they're, they're really good, but I just mm-hmm. look at that and I go, how do you do that? And I think that that sort of lit crit analysis is something that I would like to develop, but I still don't have the tool set yet mentally. Mm-hmm. And I'm really hoping that over time as I read more, I can develop that toolset. Incidentally, I think that my slush reading has really helped with my reviewing because as a slush reader, you have to be merciless. You have mm-hmm. to be able to say in a paragraph or even less why this story does or does not work.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you learn when you're slush reading just how many stories don't work. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. Do they find very predictable ways to not work, or does everyone manage to bump into new ways to not work, do you think?
2: I would say that there are definitely big overarching categories of things that don't work. You know, lots of tell-over show, flat characters, lots of, as-you-know-Bob, dialogue.
1: Mhm.
2: Well, shall we move to 2016 and looking ahead?
1: You have, like, a blog post and goals and things.
2: Yes! And I'm actually looking at it right now to remind myself of what I promised.
1: Reading diverse books in 2016, 27 different kinds of books that you want to read. At yes. least one before 1800, at least one romance novel, one book by a Caribbean author, uh, one book by an LGBTIA author, at least one graphic novel written or drawn by a person of color, at least one graphic novel written or drawn by a disabled person, just as sort of a sample of the various... Yeah things. The 2016 Canada Reads competition. I don't know anything about that.
2: Every year, the CBC, which is um, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, does this competition called Canada Reads. Every year, they'll choose a theme okay. and they'll have the public submit nominations of books that fit that theme. They'll have a long list and then the long list will get whittled down to a short list of five. Okay. And then what happens is each book is given to five prominent people in Canadian culture. And each book has a defender. And what happens is, I think this happens in February or March every year. Those five people, along with a facilitator, have like a giant televised round table where they talk about what books work and don't work and whether the book fits the theme. And then they do a sudden death elimination every day for a week. Huh. Until the one book reigns supreme. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah.
1: There are some good titles on here. I, I see the outside circle that you, you reviewed recently, and they've also got Station Eleven. And yeah. I assume they have more things that are not genre-ish, and so I don't really know about them at all.
2: If the outside circle does get onto the shortlist, then, you know, I'll already have like, you know, preemptively checked one off my list, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's really interesting because um The conversations are very heated and there's a lot of Twitter activity. Actually, uh, since we're talking about diverse books, I'd like to give a shout out to somebody I follow on Twitter who is spearheading a diverse books movement within Canada. Her name is Leonica. Yes. She, I think, is organizing like a conference about diverse reading in canada mm. and it's being held in a gta city called brampton but yeah she's great she talks about diversity and can lit and diversity in publishing in general so I, i've been trying to follow the diverse books conversation on twitter and i say trying because it's a very large conversation It is, and i recognize that let's face it i'm cis i'm hetero i'm white i'm middle class When it comes to that conversation, I am very happy to be a listener and I am very happy to let the people who actually are faced by those systemic obstacles to lead the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I'm doing this is because I recognize that as a reader and as a reviewer, this is one way I can help promote that cause by showing publishers and by validating those writers by saying, look, I am... I am willing to talk about your books, and I know that some people say, "Oh, it's just affirmative action in book re- in book review form." Well, <laughs> affirmative action has worked.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's also it's it's interesting that the implication of that always seems to be reading reading with an awareness of the author's identity is somehow also not choosing based on quality. And, and there's that Twitter executive comment recently about hiring diversely, meaning, and and saying we won't compromise quality. And it does not strike me that the problem that I have with the books that are out there is finding good ones. Like, it's not as though I only have seven good ones to find. And so, if they're among those seven, there isn't an author of of a particular background, then I, if I wanted to read something more by that author, by an author of that background, I would have to choose a lesser book. Like, for people who are are criticizing the, the diverse books movement that that seems to be at least implied if not stated and i always bridle at that because quality is subjective and also there are way more good books out there than i can read
2: i know i i, I actually tweeted right before new year's a list of books that i wanted to read in 20 in 2016 and you know i i did include diverse books on there i got some nk Jemison books for christmas Yay, so i'm gonna try and read those the second two books in the inheritance trilogy <laughs>
1: love the inheritance trilogy
2: Yeah the book 2 and book 3 I read and reviewed book 1 a few years ago and I was and I loved it I like inhaled it in a day
1: Yeah that one I had to read like the first time through it was all Nahadat It was just like Nahadat and Sia and the gods and that that was all that I remembered of it and then I reread it sometime last year and I started to notice all the ways it's doing really interesting things with traditional fantasy tropes and mm-hmm. that there's so much more going on
2: and um I'm actually looking over this list right now that I tweeted. Books that are I want to read in twenty sixteen, according to my hasty chicken scrawl. Aside from M. K. Jemison, there's The Best of All Possible Worlds by Karen Lord. The Grace of Kings by Ken Liu.
1: I really like that one. I talked okay. about it a lot if you find yourself sated at some point, but go on.
2: Um, Half Resurrection Blues by Daniel Jose Older, mm-hmm. um, Jaganath by Karen Tidbeck, The Honey Month by Amar El-Motar, and Inheritance of Ashes by Leah Bobbitt. And I've got Mrs. Dalloway on here. And I think I put that on because there's this thing happening on Twitter this year called Wolf Along, hashtag okay. W-O-O-L-F-A-L-O-N-G, where this one particular blogger is like basically going through her oath and blogging about it, so I wanted to take part in that. The Republic of Thieves by Scott Lynch, because I haven't read that yet, and I feel like I mm-hmm. should. Another thing I want to read is A Dream of Red Mansions by- Sorry if I mispronounced this name. Cao Zueguin? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I wanted to read that one because Alia Dobodard has mentioned it as an influence on her particular mm. writing. And I figure it's translated? and mm-hmm. I know it's set before 1800, and it's definitely something outside of my scope of experience. So, all right. That sounds cool.
1: You have my favorite book of last year on that list, but uh, I, will let you, I will let you read down until you get to it.
2: Okay. Um, a History of Christianity, The First 3,000 Years. I figure that one's going to cover the nonfiction book on a topic I know nothing about. There's a lot it's of not- interesting
1: stuff in the first 3,000 years of Christianity. <laughs>
2: Um, This is a book that I got from my father-in-law because he's actually studying to be a, um, a pastor. So I thought this is actually one of his textbooks. He recommended it to me. I am an Orthodox Christian and my husband is Baptist. And the thing is, our churches are very different aesthetically, but I have no idea how they're different philosophically. And that's the thing I'm very curious about. And uh, going further down the list, Ascension by Jacqueline Koyanagi, uh, Sorcerer of the Deep, Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps by Kaya Wilson, and Gut by Julia Enders. And I also want to read the biography of Alexander Hamilton that inspired Hamilton mm-hmm. because I've just been inhaling that musical over the past week or so, and so I'm like, I actually want to read the book that was the inspiration.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty neat list. Of, of of the books that I know on it, and, and that's somewhat less than half, all of them are books that have really impressed me, or books by authors who have really impressed me.
2: And which one was the favorite you mentioned?
1: Oh, I loved Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps. Okay, I, cool. I cannot say enough good things about that one. It, okay, it was incredible. Awesome. I also really liked Half Resurrection Blues and Grace of Kings. Okay. I am trying to read, and I really don't know how I let myself get talked into this, and it's mm-hmm. going to... Rely on short stories because the number 100 is going to pop up here. I am trying to read 100 new-to-me authors of historically marginalized backgrounds.
2: Interesting.
1: Renee started the challenge. She's trying to read 100 new-to-her authors who are women. And I... I am interested in reading books by authors of diverse backgrounds and books by women. And I have also found that I really want to explore East Asia and Southeast Asia, and I want to explore stories by people from the African diaspora. And so I said, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to change things slightly to historically marginalized backgrounds, because I think it'll be a little bit easier to find enough intersection between my interests and, and stories. And I'm, I'm letting myself do stories and essays as well as novels because I, I do not read 100 books a year. <laughs> but I noticed last year, because sort of accidentally last year, I think I read about four books that were by white guys and a bunch by women and a bunch by African-Americans. And what I noticed coming back to a book near the end by a white guy It was Adam Roberts, and I really, who's a British academic and also science fiction fantasy author, and I really enjoyed Jack Glass, and it was really good. And the women, because he has a couple women protagonists in the book, they just felt a little bit off and a little bit flat and not quite having the sorts of interactions and depth that I had kind of gotten used to. And it kind of clicked for me that I feel like once I've read books written by a particular group, especially a group that that initially feels foreign to where the books feel, feel sort of foreign and exotic to me. One thing that, that has clicked for me a couple of times and that feels really good when it does is being able to say I've read two or three authors from kind of the same background who are clearly writing out of their experiences and are showing similar experiences differently. Mm. And so, like, I, I feel like there have been a couple of times that I've been able to say, okay, I'm reading Friendships Between Women in a few different contexts – and I'm reading them presented a little bit differently. And it's never been to the point that I could kind of clearly articulate that, but but at least that's been there. And so, that's another thing about, about reading diversely for me is I feel like if I can push myself to read enough that's not what I'm used to and what I grew up on and, you know, white guys coming out of a middle-class upbringing kind of like mine, I feel like that helps even when I'm going back to reading reading things by authors... Who are not from historically marginalized groups? I feel like it it helps and enhances my reading of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to seeing if I can push myself further so that when I come back, because I, I have <sighs> this year, I'm going, I'm I'm going to read Max Gladstone. I'm so impressed by his blog posts that I'm just I'm going to read at least at least one of his books. And so I'm not I'm not only going to be reading new to me authors and and groups authors from historically marginalized backgrounds. But anyway, I've I've digressed a lot.
2: Max Gladstone, um, I've read Three Parts Dead. I have Two Serpents Rise. I started to read it a while back and I just stalled on it for some reason. So maybe I should go back and add that to, add that to my 2016 list. But, um, Three Parts Dead, mm-hmm. you would not believe how happy I was to know that the book, the, you know, two of the main characters were strong independent women lawyers who were just damn good at their jobs. Nice. And the cover, I'm, uh, and the and the main character, the one who's the sort of chief investigator of the book, um, mm-hmm. I think she's the one on the cover, and she is, you know, described in the book and on the cover as, you know, looking African American. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would argue that Max Gladstone definitely is a bit more au courant on that sort of thing than other authors are. I really like what i read of his work because it combines a lot of the bureaucratic stuff of more legal thrillers mm-hmm. with the fantasy elements. And I just love the idea of actually taking the boring red tape of the corporate world and putting it in an urban fantasy setting it adds this level of satire which i love
1: before we get to our final book i am trying out a new experiment where i have some people come on and talk about their favorite short stories I think that the short fiction market right now is really interesting. There's a lot of stuff out there, but there is a lot of stuff out there, and this is an attempt to give people who are interested in reading science fiction and fantasy and would like to try out some short stories a way in. So our first guest is Anna, who's been on the podcast a while ago talking about world building. We talked a bit about medieval compassing, and she
0: has three short stories to recommend.
3: This is Anna, also known as Forest of Glory, here to talk about short fiction. So I'm going to recommend three short stories that have themes of intergenerational conflict. The first one is The House of Aunts by Zen Cho. This is a teenage vampire romance set in Malaysia where the heroine has to deal with her six aunts. It's just a really lovely story. I like the way the aunts and... Heroine interact. Cho has a great voice. She really nails the little details that sort of make the story pop for me. Um, and she's one of my favorite authors, and this is one of my favorite of her stories, so I really recommend it. The next story I'm going to recommend is the contemporary *Fox White* by Yoon Ha Lee. This is about a student on a space station who gets letters from her father, but they're in a language she can't read. And one day, a mysterious foxwife shows up outside her apartment, and this is a story about what happens, and it's another, it's a really sweet story. It's another one with good domestic details, which is a thing that I really like, so you're gonna get that. Uh, and the final story I want to recommend is Points of Origin by Marissa K. Linjen. Uh, and this is a story about people in their 80s living on Mars who have never raised children who suddenly have to take care of their genetic grandchildren from the Oort Cloud, and it's another story that is really sweet about becoming parents and how difficult that can be, even though it's, you know, not the usual way of becoming a parent, and also it has, you know, really cool environmental details about what it might be like to live on Mars, and I sort of like the imperfection of the viewpoint character's parenting and... Puzzle mit, trying to work out what's going on. And again, I'd really recommend this story.
0: Each episode closes with a memory of a significant book. The right book at the right time, an interesting find, or just something that's stuck around.
2: Yeah, I would say that one of the big literary keystones of my life is actually Watership Down by Richard Adams. Yes!
1: <laughs> Go on!
2: It was one of those books, like The Hobbit, where... It took me a few years and a few attempts to actually finish it. I remember starting to read it when I was 10 or so. And I, for the first few times I tried reading it, I never got farther than when the rabbits reach Cowslip's Warren. And then when I was 12, I just powered through and it was so different and so unusual and so good. And looking back over it now, I'm just sort of in awe that he was even able to get this book published because in reality, what the story is, is it's retelling the founding of Rome and the rape of the Sabine women with bunnies.
1: That had never occurred to me.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, like, you know, with the whole founding the new warren, founding Rome, finding does from Ephrafa, going to the Sabines and, you know, abducting their women and, you know, trying to defend them against uh, the attacking Sabines who wanted to reclaim their women, quote unquote, reclaim. And yeah, of course, I didn't get that particular reference until much, much later. But the, the characterization, the dialogue, the attention to the landscape and setting, the poetry of the language, and the fact that he was even able to get something so off the wall published, and that it became a bestseller.
1: Yeah, that's one that I read probably early adolescence, and have come mm-hmm. back to a few times since then. And I remember there are some really scary
2: parts. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I was reading it when they actually find out what happened to the old Sandalford Warren, and, you know, there's the rabbit and the magician screaming, Zorn, Zorn, it's all Zorn. And then finally, the cliffhanger at the end of the chapter, it was Captain Holly from the Sandalford Ousla, And I was just like, what? Oh,
1: yeah, that's right.
2: However, I will say that it also instilled a very bad literary habit in me of willing to give books lots of second chances. Uh-huh. And that is something I have learned to be not as willing to do. Thanks for listening to
0: Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show. On the website, cabbagesandkings.audio, there's a feedback form and also a page if you'd like to be on the show. Or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. I'm on Twitter at j_sutton_morse. Sutton Morse. The show is on Twitter at KingCabbageCast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, what I can do to make the show better. The website also has an occasional blog, my running tweets on books I'm reading, and importantly, a link to the RSS feed for this show, which you can also find on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.